0: This is the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. Hello, everybody. It's good to be back. This is Trevor, repeatedly Paul. Paul, good to see you again and again and again and yeah. again. <laughs> for you,
1: Yeah, no, it's good to see you too.
0: I know that sounds like a bad thing, but I have a reason for that. It's not a bad thing. We're talking about rereading books today and how wonderful that can be. So... Having a, you and, and seeing you repeatedly is a great thing, too. Just so you well, know, I'm glad. i bad. appreciate that. Glad I'm a classic and not one that sours right. over time. You know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Always learning new things. Always, That's right. you know. Always good. No, I contain that... multitudes, Trevor. <laughs> well, I am excited to be here. As we just said, we'll be talking about rereading books today. Um, first, I do want to just give a bit of thanks to our Patreon supporters, as per usual um again it's it's so nice uh to have that support it gives us chances to do things and i do have some book giveaways that I, paul and i need to kind of prepare how do we want to do them but i've got i've got several in mind so we'll get those back into our regular lineup um should we do one today just to kind of you know get set the stage should we sure should we try that out and see i think so it's been a long time so i think it, it people has are ready been. Yeah. it has been what what kind of... Uh, should we do a game? We're doing this completely on the fly here, folks. <laughs> Any ideas, Paul, as to how to do this? Or should we make it an easy one where we just kind of uh, get in? Yeah, and, I think uh,
1: just just to dip our toes back in since it's been a while, I think we go for easy. All right. Well, the,
0: the book that I have uh, an extra copy of that I want to send out because it's proving to be a really good one is... Arabesques by Anton... I don't know how to say his name in, in what his language would be, but Anton Shamas. This is translated from the Hebrew by Vivian Eden.
1: And this just came out from
0: NYRB Classics. Have you have you seen this one yet, Paul?
1: I have seen it, but I haven't dug in very much. So you said it's it's good so far?
0: So far, yeah. I'm just barely kind of picking it up and skimming through it. More than that, though, it's from what I'm hearing from other people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it sounds know. wonderful. Yeah, so let's do this then. If you would like to win this copy of Arabesques, please go ahead and just send an email to mooksandgripes at gmail.com. You can see that email in the podcast um, app description. And we will draw a winner on our next episode. It'll be recorded Let's see. So today's Saturday the fourth. Our next episode will be then Saturday the eighteenth. Am I doing the math right? Yeah. yeah. And that'll be a fun episode, which will also have a giveaway, a big giveaway, a big just giveaway. As, a, as a bit of a preview. <laughs> I'm excited about that. Um, but we will at that time also draw who will be getting a copy of Arabesques coming your way. So, awesome. and like I say, we've got more. We just, we just need to get in the habit of preparing a little bit better on that. end. we prepare other things well, but mm-hmm. sometimes that slips through the cracks and becomes a little bit haphazard as, uh, as you know, we're showing right now, I guess I could edit all of this out and be like, you know, here's our giveaway today and have some, something elaborate, but you know, Hey, let's just, yeah. just send me an email folks. <laughs> Tell me you're interested in winning a copy of Arabesques, And I hope, I hope you win. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, Paul, before we get to rereading, mm-hmm.
1: what have you been reading? Yeah, I have been reading a few different things. I So, you know, Possession by A.S. Byatt, that is a book that I have heard about and thought about and wanted to read for, I mean, a decade or probably more than that. But for whatever reason, I've just never gotten to it. It's been sitting on my shelf for years, and I finally decided if I'm ever going to get to this book, I think audio is probably the way that I'm going to do it. And so I recently started um listening to it and it's just a really interesting experience. It had so much buzz, you know, back when it came out and won a lot of awards and had a lot a lot of acclaim. But I don't hear too much about it these days anymore. And I don't know if that's just the nature of, you know, time and, and all the new books that have replaced it, or if it's kind of out of fashion now more than it used to be. But so far I'm really enjoying it. Um it's kind of the the dual tales of these love stories that are taking place amidst literary research, you know, so what's not to like there. Um, And I will say that I've heard from some people that some of the kind of, you know, quote unquote, original poetry and and the works of fiction that A.S. Byatt writes in the voices of other characters for some people that gets to be a little slog at times, because it can be pages and pages of this stuff. And, you know, I, I'm enjoying it, but I will say that's one of the benefits of listening to it in audio is if those parts, you can kind of just like let it flow over you and you don't have to dig in quite as much as if you were reading it, but yeah, I'm about halfway through that one. And yeah, so far I really do like it. Did you read that one back in the
0: day? Um, it has been a while. I didn't read it back when it first came out Mm -hmm. and won the Booker. I read it 2004, 5 probably 2006 sometime mm-hmm. in that in that general area i remember cuz i remember where we were living when i read it yeah and i did i really i really enjoyed it it's mm-hmm. one that i could probably put as a candidate for a reread because i don't yeah. remember it very well right i just remember loving all the stuff that you're skimming. No, just kidding. Yeah. I can't. I can't remember very well, um, <laughs> but I do remember there being those, de- uh, you know, kind of long, lengthy parts of the old poetry, and how impressed I was. I know that she's doing that in this book. I mean, how do you, how do you have the gall to write a book that has fake? Master poets, and you write their poetry.
1: (laughs) I know exactly. It's kind of like when you know, like Tolkien or somebody like that, like has all these poems and these ancient, you know, stories and all these things and builds this mythology. It's for some people it works, for some it Mm -hmm. doesn't. And I mean, I don't mean to say it's not working for me, I'm actually really enjoying it, but um, it I, I do think for me, audio has been a good way. I've talked about how sometimes that's a good one where. If it's a book you just are starting to realize you'll not get to otherwise, or if you're just unsure about it, it's the perfect way for me to kind of test it out. So yeah, I mean, I have really been enjoying it. I'll report back as I get further along. And then I also recently finished The Passenger. I talked a little bit about it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, When I talked about it in our last episode, I was fairly early on and I was intrigued and excited, but we talked about a little bit wary and, and nervous and boy, Trevor... It won me over completely. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, Yeah. Ugh. I It took that's me a while. Cool. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Was, I was really happy. It took me a while to kind of find my footing with it. But once I did, I found that I was just reading it in these big, huge gulps. You know, I was just, I couldn't put it down. And it felt like all the things that I love about Cormac McCarthy. Um, yeah. He does. He has that knack. It kind of reminded me of Sutri which I haven't read. Speaking of rereads, that would be another good one for me, but where he can kind of have you sitting in this like bar or, you know, out in the field with these people who are not necessarily, you know, academics or, you know, traditionally learned people, but they will just be talking and you end up kind of grappling with, you know, the unknown and personal losses Mm. and religion and philosophy and In this one, he gets into like mental illness and quantum physics and conspiracy theories. I mean, some of it comes in the form of people who have done research in that. But sometimes it's like I said, it's just a couple of guys sitting in a bar in the French quarter in New Orleans, just kind of going off on a tangent. But I just love his ability to kind of mix in this like poetry and philosophy and all these other things. I think that's so cool. Yeah. 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 Um, Lots of rabbit trails. Um, they don't always lead to satisfying conclusions, which is actually something that I really like. Um, I was just gonna read a couple of really quick passages. So if anybody is missing the dark and bleak Cormac, never fear, um, there's plenty <laughs> of that. He said there's one where the two people are talking. It says, "How bad is this world? How bad? The world's truth constitutes a vision so terrifying as to beggar the prophecies of the bleakest seer who ever walked it." Once you accept that, then the idea that all of this will one day be ground to powder and blown into the void becomes not a prophecy, but a promise. So allow me in turn to ask mm-hmm. you this question. When we and all our works are gone together with every memory of them and every machine in which such memory could be encoded and stored, and the earth is not even a cinder, for whom then will this be a tragedy? Where would such a being be found? And by whom? It's like, wow, that is dark and bleak, but just so good. But... There's also his strange view of, you know, just like we talked about with the road where there's little glimmers of hope and sometimes they're very sad, but it's still there. So this passage, um, the main character is spending some time on the beach and it says, in the spring of the year, birds begin to arrive on the beach from across the Gulf. Weary passerines, virillos, kingbirds and grosbeaks, too exhausted to move. You could pick them up out of the sand and hold them trembling in your palm, their small hearts beating and their eyes shuddering. He walked the beach with his flashlight, the whole of the night, to fend away predators. And toward the dawn, he slept with them in the sand, that none disturb these passengers. And I thought that was just like a perfect encapsulation of, you know, Cormac at his kind of, I don't know if it's tender, but like even in the midst of darkness and sadness and all these things, there are still people out there who are, walking the beaches, looking to protect these tiny little birds and things like that. So, yeah, anyway, I absolutely loved it. Um, I was debating whether I wanted to jump straight into Stella Maris, just knowing realistically it's likely the last book we'll see from him. So part of me wanted to save it, but I think I'm going to just jump right in because it, I don't know, I'm just at such a good point with it right now that I don't think I could wait any longer, so...
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Then you can yep. start your reread, your your great reread. re-read. Exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I I reading this again has reminded me of how much I do love his work. So I don't know that I'll jump straight in, back into this one, but it might be time to revisit some of his older ones I haven't read in a while for sure. Cool.
0: Well, I'm so thrilled, you know, with an author that puts out a book after so long that you've loved, and it's probably going to be the last one especially since he's been working on it for like 40 years. I know. <laughs> it's very unlikely there's going to be anything additional coming from him. It would be disappointing if it was just an absolute flop, you know, or something like that. Or, it, and maybe this is a way to look at it too, we just aren't ready for it yet. We haven't we haven't processed things to the point where we could receive it mm-hmm. and and understand and appreciate what it's doing because it's different and we tend to... You know, kind of not know what to do with different other than to say it's not what I wanted, yeah, and but i'm it's so cool that you were able to get on with it and mm-hmm. love it that much that's I'm very excited to get back into it now myself, yeah, yeah. and i was see, see I was nervous, happens. I was mm-hmm. nervous
1: for sure, and like you said, it's kind of that when there's an author you love, it's kind of like the the classic story of you know you go see a band that you've loved forever and they keep playing all their new stuff and everybody's like, yeah, play, play the favorites, that kind of thing. It's Mm -hmm. any artist worth their salt is going to, or not any, but many, you know, would not be happy to just kind of settle in and do the same thing over and over again. So I think that's what I liked about this one is you could tell that he was doing different things and trying different things, but the things that you love were still there for sure. So, Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. How about you? What have you been reading these days?
0: All right. So I'm reading In a Lonely Place by Dorothy B. Hughes, rereading that one, actually. And are you joining in with that one? I I am. I I thought about mentioning that one, but I knew I would go off on a Cormac tangent and hoped you might bring it up. Well, so for NYRB Women 23, this Dorothy B. Hughes crime noir from, I think, 1947 is when Mm -hmm. she wrote it, uh, is what we're reading now. And it's so, I mean, it's so well written and dark and someone made a really good point saying, how was this ever made into a movie in 1950? Because the movie stars, it's a Nicholas Ray movie starring Humphrey Bogart. I love it. Oh, yeah. I love the movie. I love the book too. I love them both. And, and for different reasons, they're, they're different. You know, the movie, they've adapted it in a way that I think is brilliant. Just fantastic. First off. Humphrey Bogart's the one playing the central character who we know from page one of the book is a depraved, um, rapist murderer Mm -hmm. and who, but, but who, you know, tries to almost build it up as a game and how can he, how can he live with a little bit of risk while still, you know, making sure he's safe and he's so proud of all the ways that he can look natural with people it's just it's it's something else and and that's who humphrey bogart plays you know this uh, the, the great man from casablanca and you know various other hollywood classics is is stepping in to play that role but it's a little different i would highly recommend um you know following the book with the movie and just seeing where it goes it'll be a different experience for sure yeah um in terms of a book I just finished last night, I finished Rebecca Mackay's most recent book, I Have Some Questions From You. Uh, oh. She's the author of The Great Believers from 2018 mm-hmm. that was a National Book Award finalist, a Pulitzer finalist. I've not read it. I am going to read it now. I thought I Have Some Questions For You was fantastic. I was really invested in in both the story. It's It's, I don't know, it's almost a cliched story of a young girl murdered at boarding school. And, you know, her friends 20 years later are starting to realize that maybe the version that has come about as the official version is wrong. You know, it was the, the black, um, 20, 21 year old who was at the school to do like you know, help with gym and and run equipment and things like that. The equipment manager is is, who's been in jail for a a couple of decades. But the point of the book is how cliched that is in a way Mm. that it means she even starts it with this long list of it was the one where he, you know, did this. It was the one where someone lied for him. It was the one where blah, blah, blah. It was the one where blah, blah, blah. And they're all different. But every one of them calls to mind real cases that you know of that are so familiar out mm. there of, of potentially, you know, being covered up because of someone's privilege. Yeah. And she takes on the modern internet world of, um, you know, cancel culture, woke culture, um, you know, the, the, the way people are responding to bringing these things out to light again. Um, and she does it in such a way that it just complicates everything. I just, I I thought it was really, really well done. I I loved what she was up to in this, where she's like, I know this story that we're we're kind of going through Mm -hmm. is cliched. It's about this beautiful, wealthy, you know, privileged girl who was killed. And we all flock to that. Right. And let's now take a step back. And while I'm telling you this story, you're all flocking to, and I'm like, yeah, I want to know what happened. Um, I'm going to also make you kind of... uh, uncomfortable with how all this gets treated, um, by us. Yeah. And, and, and yet how, how else can you do it in some ways, you know, like the families, like we don't, we didn't ask for anyone to re litigate this, you know, our daughter's murder and and the murderer, we want peace, but it's like, well, there is someone in jail for this who might be innocent. Oh, how do you handle all these various, um, sometimes valid, sometimes invalid perspectives that, um, people try to use to police, and yeah just, just really really well done really enjoyed it
1: that sounds good um,
0: but I'm also starting Anthony Trollope's Dr. Thorn oh, for, for the Trollope read-along that I joined where we're reading all six of the Chronicles of Barsetshire and all six of the Palliser novels this year one a month and finally finally I'm on Dr. Thorne because I didn't have to read The Warden or Barchester Towers yeah I was and gonna say they finally caught up with you they caught up with me with two books <laughs> And I just love being back in this, you know, Anthony Trollope world. (laughs) The first chapter, he talks about all of these various characters, and Dr. Thorne in particular. And one of the main characters is the son and heir to Greshamsbury, Francis Newbold Gresham. And it says, he would have been the hero of our tale had not that place been preoccupied by the village doctor. As it is, those who please may so regard him. It is he who is to be the favorite young man, to do the love scenes, to have his trials and his difficulties, and to win through them, or not, as the case may be. I am too old now to be a hard-hearted author, and so it is probable that he may not die of a broken heart. Those who don't approve of a middle-aged bachelor country doctor as a hero may take the heir of Greshamsbury in his stead and call the book, if it so please them, the loves and adventures of Francis Newbold Gresham, the younger. (laughs) And I'm like, I just love how he does this. And then, and then this is a long chapter of a lot of different people. And this is how he starts chapter two. As Dr. Thorne is our hero, or I should say, rather my hero, a privilege of selecting for themselves in this respect, being left to all my readers. And as Miss Mary Thorne is to be our heroine, a point on which no choice whatsoever is is left to anyone, (laughs) it is necessary that they should be introduced and explained and described in a proper formal manner. I quite feel that an apology is due for beginning a novel with two long, dull chapters full of description. I am perfectly aware of the danger in such a course. In so doing, I sin against the golden rule which requires us all to put our best foot foremost, the wisdom of which is fully recognized by novelists, myself among the number. It can hardly be expected that anyone will consent to go through with a fiction that offers so little of allurement in its first pages. <laughs> <laughs> and the the thing that's interesting is quite a few people are a little bit frustrated. They thought these two chapters were a little bit dull and you know, mm-hmm. uh, that he, that he apologized for it, but I'm just sitting there just lapping this stuff up because he's that way as he's describing these characters, he's got mm-hmm. such a pleasant way of presenting them and of, you can kind of see his attitude behind it all. I don't know. I, I love, I love it. I, I think, it's so fun. I'm I'm only like, you know, 5 or 6 chapters in to Dr. Mm-hmm. Thorne. Um, but just so nice to be back into the the world of of the
1: Chronicles of Barsetshire. So That's fun. Yeah, I'm glad that you're in part of that group. Like is there any part of you that I, I obviously you're excited to do it because you're doing it, but like is there any part of you that's worried about reading them all like so quickly rather than like parcelling them out and savoring them? I mean, it's not like there's any shortage of troll out there, but <laughs>
0: Not yet. I may feel that way if I've read a few and I'm thinking, "Oh, I just want to save these." Mm -hmm. But uh, there's a part of me also that's glad I finally don't get to use that as an excuse to delay. Because sometimes it feels like I use that just because I might, like, I don't want to exercise. You know, I probably should exercise, but I have excuses for why maybe not tonight, even though I want to. I know it's a good thing. You know, and I've kind of tried to look at it and think, why? Why wouldn't I just enjoy these and then be able yep. because I'm, I guess I'm also to the point where I'm, and we'll talk about this, you know, as I'm rereading a few more books this year, of books I read 10 years ago, and it's kind of like reading them for the first time. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I realize saving these to dull them out, you know, and when I'm in my fifties, I could probably read them all again for the first time.
1: Yeah. So absolutely.
0: just, just, you know, enjoy reading what I want to, and this is where I'm, where I'm at with them. So not yet am I feeling that, but I no. guess maybe sometime.
1: No, I like that idea. That's how I'm feeling more and more with a lot of this stuff too. Even like Stella Maris, you know, for example, mm-hmm. it's like if you're in the moment and you're enjoying it, there's, there's that temptation to parcel it out. But I think more and more, it makes sense to just jump in. And like you said, for better or for worse, a lot of these when I'm rereading them, I'm, I'm like, Oh, geez. I don't remember <laughs> any of this so and there's certainly no
0: shortage of books that I'm excited to read as well mm-hmm. or next or anything like that so I don't feel like I'll run out of reading material but I, and I think that's also part of it I look at my shelves and I see how many books I've put off to save for for yeah. a date when I can savor it yeah and uh, you you've mentioned before you just have to build in that time and it becomes that kind of moment where you're savoring a book, even if it didn't mm-hmm. feel like it would fit it, it can become that. Yeah. And so I just need to stop using that as a, you know, it's just not quite the right time for me and, and make it, make it work. And it does. And it, it is, it's fun. It's fun to to see how possible it is to even amongst the hustle and bustle still have those, perfect reading memories or at least they become such you know even if in the moment like you've said before too everything's a little bit chaotic if you really kind of can get into that book all that stuff's going to go away in your memory and Mm -hmm. it's just you and the book and it can be
1: awesome absolutely now that's something i've enjoyed about the nyrb 23 women reading group is you know it's so early on and i haven't been reading every one of them but several of the ones that we've read so far you know the grand hotel and in a lonely place for example are books that would fall under that category for me of ones I've been saving, saving, saving. And it's just like you said, it's nice to have just a little bit of gentle pressure Mm -hmm. to to go ahead and dive in. And then as you do it, you're like, why have I been waiting? It it doesn't make any sense. So Yeah.
0: Why did I put this off? Yeah. But there is the other issue that comes up when you have a lot of books you want to read, and that is finding the time to revisit old favorites. And so, you know, we we kind of just, I think we've been not skirting around, but we've been introducing our topic kind of nicely here mm-hmm. of rereading and why we reread and thinking about rereading. I, I'll admit I have, I've I've reread books in the past, you know, whether maybe for a class or or something like that. And one of the ones that I'm going to talk about when we talk about some of our good rereading experiences um, is one that I read in high school and then decided to reread when I was out of high school for 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. And those have always been good, but I wouldn't have considered myself a big rereader. Um, but this year in particular, I've reread several books a lot because of the NYRB women 23. I've this we've read, this will be the fifth book that we've read. And it's my third reread. <laughs> nice. You know, I, I had already read the hearing trumpet by Leonora Carrington. I had already read grand hotel by Vicky Baum, and I've already read in a lonely place by Dorothy B Hughes. Um, and so of the five that we're we're on right now, I've reread that three of them are rereads and it's been awesome. I have mm-hmm. I have loved it. I have not and one of them thought this is a waste of my time. Or this is okay. I have been glad to have done it and felt like it was time well spent. And so I'm becoming more of a rereader and I'm excited to kind of explore that a little bit with you today. Yeah. the, the good of this. Yeah, I guess if there is
1: bad, but (laughs) yeah, I think that I don't know if it's bad, but I do think that there are some potential, you know, pitfalls or at least things that can come up. But yeah, I was looking, I was thinking about how much, whether or not I'm much of a rereader. And I would say that I am a pretty consistent rereader. For example, I was looking at the spreadsheet that I actually did fill out last year of all my reading. (laughs) Um, And it looked like about 10% of my reads last year were rereads. So, you know, I don't know where that falls, but I feel like that's a decent ratio, you know, not that I want to yeah. turn it into like any kind of prescription, but I do thought, think that that's kind of like, you know, it it allows plenty of room to explore the new, but, you know, 10% of your reading is also a good chance to look back at some of, some of the things that have happened in the past. So yeah, um, I struggle like all of us with the idea of the, the the shiny and the new or all these books that are up on a pedestal that I want to get to the solenoids of the world. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Balancing that with the fact that like, I could probably very happily reread all of Charles Dickens and Jane Austen, like once a year, and be perfectly content. So there's, mm-hmm. it, it's a pleasant tension, because either way, it's kind of a win win. But I definitely feel that a lot, you know, and trying to determine how and when to reread versus jump into some of these exciting new books that are always coming out, or even ones like we've talked about that are just sitting there for years that are kind of calling your name.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a pitfall. And probably the reason why I've not been a big rereader in the past is there's so many others sitting here. It's not even that I have to go and find them that I've wanted to read for a long time, that I'm excited to read. And I feel like a reread would take up that slot. Yeah but again, I, there's, there's a good thing about it. We can get into some of the other potential pitfalls, but I really liked the way this was brought up in a recent episode of the podcast, the history of literature. I don't know if that's one that you've, you've listened to too much in the past. It's episode 478. Hmm. It's been going on for a little while. Wow, I guess so. (laughs) The reason I found it, uh, I had, I had, not looked at it um, before, but I'm excited to dig into the archives a little bit more, but there's the episode with Ross Benjamin about the diaries of Franz Kafka. That's the f- episode 478. So I was listening to that and at the start of it, the host, and I'm sorry, I, I don't know this podcast well enough and it d- doesn't have the host's name in the description that I'm looking at right here. Um, the host is talking to an author and, and talking about, uh what would you like the last book you read on earth to be you know mm-hmm. in your life and this led to a kind of an idea of would it be something you reread then you know what what book would you like to be in on your mind and it seems like a reread and he said something really interesting he said you know when you go and visit paris for the first time you're going to go to the louvre you're going to go to you know, walk Champs-Élysées, you're going to go to the Triomphe, you're going to go to the Eiffel Tower, you're going to hit the highlights. Mm -hmm. And it's good. That's great. You're going to do that. On your second trip, you're going to have more time to take the back alleys, to see the things that, you know, aren't on the top highlight list because you can now. You can afford to focus your attention on other places and, and live in it a little bit differently than you did the first time. And hmm. I thought that's a good way of looking at the reread, you know, if it can be that kind of experience of this is not my first time through this, I can, I can, I know how the book ends. I'm not so focused on that stuff and the things that are coming and the highlights. I'm not underlining and writing a foreshadowing or metaphor anymore. You know, I, I'm right. able to really look <laughs> at some of the, some of the substance in a different way.
1: Um, that's a really great thing with rereading, uh, a book. Yeah, no, it's a great point. Yeah, I agree. And I saw something kind of similar where there was a quote from C.S. Lewis and he said, I'd never be satisfied to limit myself to just one experience each with my favorite people. Yeah, And I liked that too. It's like, (laughs) if you put it in a different perspective, it's like, yeah, nice to meet you. We got along really great. All right, see you later. (laughs) You know, no, you want to go back and revisit and and spend more time with with friends or like you said, places. And it makes perfect sense that it would be with books as well. So yeah, I really like that. Both for the familiarity
0: and for the... the the new that can come from those experiences it can be comforting mm-hmm. it can be exciting to be back there um but you also have faith that it's going to be enriching even though you've already been there yeah uh, before. absolutely yeah we do this with movies and stuff too all the time and i get it movies are a different um amount of time you you're mm-hmm. you're you're spending on a movie you know maybe 90 minutes 120 minutes or even you know 3 hour movies That's different from a 20 hour, you know, if you want to reread Moby Dick, which I do, that's a huge, you know, uh, commitment, cost benefit analysis Mm -hmm. to try and figure out there. Yeah. (laughs) And, and the opportunity cost is much higher for Moby Dick than, you know, to rewatch in a lonely place, for example.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, at the risk of turning this into an Anne Fadiman podcast, um, she actually has. I want to hear it. I was hoping. Yep. She has an entire <laughs> collection. She didn't write it, but she um, edited this collection called Rereadings, Rere and it's 17 writers revisit books they love. Oh, and it's man. really good. I would absolutely you know, recommend picking it up, but in particular- Hold on, hold on,
0: hold on. You just held it up. Um, is that the same kind of style as her book ex libris
1: it is oh so those are gonna
0: look so great together aren't they Ah, okay yep okay i'm
1: gonna i'm gonna if nobody else i will win you over yeah i'm Um,
0: i'm well i'm already on it for ex libris i haven't i haven't bought it yet but definitely getting that definitely now getting rereadings i cannot get enough of these based on what you're reading i just can't wait i'm so excited (laughs) well how about
1: this there's actually a third one too called at large and at small familiar essays so it's an entire book of her talking about something called familiar essays, which is also really good. And it's in that same style. So there right. you go. Right. Yeah. yeah. So in my f- wife, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Get permission in the forward for uh rereadings though. She, there's several excerpts I can read throughout this episode, but I'll try to limit myself a little bit. She's talking about in particular rereading through the lens of rereading a favorite book to her son. And she said, um, he, she's noticing some of maybe the flaws or the wrinkles of the book that she didn't notice before, whereas he is just all in and just loving it for the plot. And he's not noticing that there might be some like complications or some things that haven't haven't aged well necessarily. And so she says, and there lay the essential differences between reading and rereading acts that Henry and I were performing simultaneously. The former had more velocity. The latter had more depth. The former shut out the world in order to focus on the story. The latter dragged in the world in order to assess the story. The former was more fun. The latter was more cynical. But what was remarkable about the latter was that it contained the former. Even while, as with the upper half of a set of bifocals, I saw the book through the complicating lens of adulthood, I also saw it through the memory of the first time I'd read it. Hmm. And I just really liked that. Her going through this experience of rereading it and, and being more cynical and noticing the warts and the things, but... Then she's talking to her son about it and he's like, mom, it's just a great story. Like, keep going. Stop, stop, you know, explaining things to me and stuff. And it's almost like a little microcosm of what can happen within your own brain. But I just like that idea of the former had more velocity. The latter had more depth, because I think that ties into what you were just describing. You know, it's not going to be necessarily as much of a fun or exciting, like, especially if it's like a plot-driven novel or where you remember a lot of what happens in the end, that's not what's driving you forward, but there's so many other things that make it rewarding. So one of the things that we're going to do
0: today is talk about some of our favorite rereading experiences and then a few books that we want to reread. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Maybe, can I bring up one of my favorite rereading experiences just kind of out of turn or at least, maybe this is the better way to do it because what you just read Brought up my reread of The Hobbit a few years ago with my youngest sons. Yeah, let's mix it in. Yeah. I'd read The Hobbit as a kid probably twice. Once I remember reading it with my mom and then once on my own. And I had not read it again. So that, yeah, I don't know, 35 years in the past, 30, 35 Mm. years since I'd reread it. And I always, you know, love the story. I know the story really well. I've definitely watched the Rankin, you know, bath yeah. <laughs> uh, production <laughs> plenty. I love it. Uh, but in rereading it, it was so fun at at the start, just getting back into that Hobbit hole and all of mm-hmm. Tolkien's writings about the Hobbit and the, of Hobbiton and how Hobbits are. And it's just so fun. And my boys were enjoying that. But their favorite part was the end, which I didn't enjoy as much because it's pretty speedy. It's almost like tolkien's like, "Oh, I've got to get this book done mm-hmm. i've already i spent i can't i can't t- i can't step back and and explore all the fun nuances like I did at the beginning of the book i I need to get all through this- L- you know let alone the things that I just couldn't remember because they're not part of any of the film adaptations you know? right right <laughs> um, but I thought that was so fun and I keep looking back on that as just one of my favorite rereading experiences because I did enjoy reading it again for myself but yes seeing my kids come across it and and see that delight in them and it wasn't so much that it was the hobbit I just really loved sharing their excitement to sit down and read and sometimes we read books together and after 10 minutes I'm like okay that's that's good for tonight yeah but the hobbit those chapters are long and it was like 45 to 50 minutes a night to read a chapter down sitting on their floor, you know, in their mm-hmm. bedroom. And yet I did it consistently until we were done with that book because it was just such a good, warm, comforting. Um, i probably talked about this on our comfort reads level, maybe, or, um, level. I don't know what the, that word came out. Our comfort <laughs> reads essay mm-hmm. episode. <laughs> All right. Restarting my head here. Um, <laughs> yes, the comfort reads, I don't know if I talked about it or not, but it, it really was nice to get back in that world and remember the things that I loved about it, see new things, see some things that I didn't like as much. Mm-hmm. And all of it just become a new reading experience uh, while visiting it. And now I get to look back on the, the both of them as pleasant memories of my of my reading time in the past.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. That Those books, as we've talked about in quite a few of our other episodes were just so formative for me. And so rereading them to both of our sons and then going through and rereading the entire Lord of the Rings to both of our sons was absolutely wonderful. Just to, you know, you're not ever going to replicate exactly what it meant to you as a reader. Mm -hmm. And there's, that's one of the risks is there's no, there's no guarantee that it's going to mean anything. I mean, chances are those books have stood the test of time. So, you know, chances are at the very least they're going to enjoy them they may not be quite as formative for them but just to see them you know meeting these different characters gollum or whoever for the first time and mm-hmm. you know that was so much fun um yeah i mean talking about the risks of of how some books don't age as well or whatever i mean that's one of the things if we want to talk about one of the concerns yeah, is the not yeah not n- only historical i mean that can happen i know that all of you when you were what was the um nyrb 23 book that you were oh, young man before. with a horn. Yeah. I know there was a lot but, of discussion yeah. about how that book did not in some ways, maybe, or whether or not it aged well and how aware she was of some of the racial, you know, things that were going on and how they came across. So anyway, that's just an example mm-hmm. of like when you're rereading and that could happen on a first read too, but um, just those different things that can, come I guess, up. I guess
0: it would be harder if it were a book you loved and you go back to it and realize mm-hmm. did I love,
1: a creep. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. But again, like I said, I, I will try not to read too much Anne Fadiman, but she does say something really good about that. She's talking about the risks of rereading and how there can be flaws and how it can color your view of a book you loved when you reread it. And she says, the book's flaws were serious, but the connection was too strong to sever. And why shouldn't it be? The same thing happens with our parents. They start out as gods and then we learned that they committed adultery or drank too much or cheated on their taxes or maybe they just looked awkward on the dance floor or went on too long when they told a story but do we stop loving them i thought wow that is really good just that idea of like yes you can hold something up on a pedestal a person or a book and it may not necessarily always live up to it but that doesn't mean that that connection isn't there and that you stop loving it so anyway i thought that was a really good you know view as as i sometimes I'm reluctant to go back and reread a book because it may not hold up or it yeah. won't, the same thing to me, or you might discover some of these things, you know? So yeah, a book that, I mean, I will, we're going to list some of our favorite rereads, but I will say that there was a book I reread recently that I was going to mention today that, um, it's not that I didn't enjoy it, but it was one of those where when I reread it, it didn't mean exactly the same thing to me that it did the first time. And that's The French Lieutenant's Woman by John Foles. I read that back in college. And it was during that formative time that I've talked about where I was starting to get my horizons expanded to everything that a book and literature can do. And so, you know, at that time, it was the first time I'd been exposed to a form of literature, like, you know, some of the postmodern things where he'll, you know, he's writing it from maybe the 70s and he'll be talking about you know the 1800s but then he'll kind of do almost I mean it's impressive what Trollope did where he'll almost step back and be like well you know as you may know back then this happened and this happened and and so for me at the time I was like wow like I didn't know all that was possible and so it kind of blew my mind and just caused me to rethink how literature could work and what it could do and so I reread it last year and you know I did enjoy it and thought it was still a very solid read but it just didn't have quite that same you know revelatory effect on me um, since I've, you know, read a lot more experimental and postmodern stuff since then. So it wasn't like, wow, this is like the example of what it can do. It was like, oh, here's another example. So it's just interesting when you go back and reread how there's all these other things that can happen too.
0: Have you ever had one that you have thought, I hate that book now. I I was wrong and, and it's too bad I reread it, but I guess maybe at the same time
1: I don't care because it's maybe not hate, but I mean, rereading Douglas Adams to our sons. I was never like a huge hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy fan, but it's one of those that at a certain age you can get on board with probably like maybe like Kerouac's on the road. If you hit it in the right sweet spot, it is just like, this is perfect. And then when you go back and revisit, I mean, by the time we finished, we read all of that series to our son pretty recently the Hitchhiker's Guide, and man, the last two books of that series, I was—it was painful. I I hated them, <laughs> <laughs> and so again, not saying that I loved them the first time I read them, but I think sometimes the passage of time or the age you are when you read something, you know, Kerouac mm-hmm. comes up a lot for that. Just yeah, you know, I think you it was that
0: Salinger too, and the Catcher, yeah, Salinger.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. That would probably be the one that I didn't hate the original Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy on a reread, but it's still the whole shtick kind of wore thin pretty quickly for me. Whereas when I was younger, I was kind of like, you know, Oh, it's like, you know, I love Monty Python still, but kind of that <laughs> after a while, you're like, okay, I get it. You know, and that was kind of how it was with Douglas Adams. So that would be probably the one that would come to mind for me. How about you? I am tr- i can't think of a reread that I like completed
0: and, and it had completely like destroyed my original reading of the book. And mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of in response to what you read by Anne Fadiman there of, it, you can still love love it, and if that has ever changed, it certainly has I think with movies and such, you know something that mm-hmm. may have been a favorite. I watch it later on, I'm like, what was I thinking that was yeah. that's bad, and I don't and I don't care that it's gone now, you know yeah. that that it that I don't feel like I lost anything because what I had was turned out to be worthless or something like right. that, but I don't know if that's ever happened with me in a book um, one of my other good rereading experiences was one that I think for some people might have happened. Um, they they might have fallen out of love of, with the book. And that's F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. That's the one I read in high school and, you know, enjoyed. But I loved it even more when I reread it, you know, a decade later. Mm-hmm. And and I, I don't think that that's the experience many people have. But I, I was, I was like, oh, it was almost like I expected it to be worse. I expected it to be one of those books that you just learn about and you, you kind of revere because it's one of the first books you've ever read. Right. Uh, and you're learning about it from someone who can, in, can give some context and that always makes something feel deeper. And I was worried about it, but I was surprised at how much I was enjoying the language and from, from page one, you know, mm. from page one, I loved that first paragraph. I loved the last paragraph. And I, I thought, wow, I, that's not a book I've grown out of. I, I might now, you know, that's been another 15 years ago mm-hmm. that I did that reread. So maybe now I would, I would do that, but that's one where I was probably a little bit worried about the reread. Mm-hmm. I think I reread it because Kevin Peterson, our friend, Kevin from Canada, mm-hmm. um, you know, said, Hey, you should reread that at this point and see how you feel about it." thing. It was short. And so I did. And yeah, it, I thought it was great. I know that there's some weird, um, you know, context now that i didn't know about then with his uh you know with his wife and and you know zelda fitzgerald and did she write it and all that and i don't know the details well enough to have a strong opinion on whether that happened or didn't happen or maybe and maybe people know for sure i I don't know um but i did enjoy reading the book again i'm not yeah. trying to comment on him as right. an
1: author or person but yeah no i mean that that makes a lot of sense i guess we've talked about some of the the wrinkles or the you know, the potential negatives, but I guess the the flip side that we should probably focus on too, is like, what are the positives? Why do people go back and reread? And so I had, you know, jotted down a few things that we could talk about if you want to, like nostalgia, of course, comfort, Mm -hmm. curiosity, obsession, (laughs) Mm -hmm. inspiration, or like kind of the idea of, of ritual, you know, times of year or you know, oh, yeah. certain things like that, or or even the idea of, like we talked about, kind of just tracking changes, whether it's in your life or something, because sometimes they can be like these sounding points within your life of some of these classics and favorites where you read them in your teens, you read them in your 30s, you read them in your 50s. And we've talked about this, you relate to different characters or different parts jump out. So, you know, I just thought, you know, we could we could chat a little bit about what are some of the things that cause you to reread. And I think obviously one of them would be nostalgia and that idea of kind of either nostalgia for the book or who you were or where you were when you read the book. Because mm-hmm. I will say like last year, I had so much fun rereading all of the Jane Austen books for our, our project that we did and chatting with my old professor, Professor Ray, you know, and just it took me back to the discovery of those books and how meaningful they were to me at the time. And luckily, the the rereading experience was just as wonderful and all the things that we just described, like noticing different things, wrinkles, scenes, characters that I had completely forgotten about, you know, was just absolutely fun. So there's definitely that of the idea of like returning to old friends, but also being taken back, like sense memory to sitting in a classroom. You know, I took a class with my wife, a Jane Austen class, and like just remembering we were dating at that time and Mm -hmm. just sitting next to her and reading those books and stuff. So I think that for me is one of the, big appeals of a reread is just that idea of, of comfort and nostalgia.
0: For sure. And and one of the other ones I would bring up is my own experience rereading Jane Austen last year, but mm. I only reread four of them. I reread, well, uh, well and I had not read um, Northanger Abbey. Mm. And so the ones that I did not reread last year were Emma and Pride and Prejudice. But I told my wife, I still am going to do this. We're rereading mm. these because I reread those. What by reading with my wife, or some of them, I reread out loud to her, and we've been doing that with Emma again. We're going very slow because I don't know why. You know, we don't have a deadline of we're recording an episode here coming up, and so we've been rereading Emma for a while now, and it's so nice. In fact, even last night, I'm like, "Hey, let me read a chapter of Emma," um, while we're kind of relaxing a little bit, and it it is. It's so nice to get back into that world it brings back old memories and it makes a new one i just i don't know that that rereading project has been really fun but i had a hankering for it too i already wanted to reread jane austen's works even before we decided to do that episode and the impetus i think was i can feel it slipping in my mind a little bit Mm-hmm. i want to recreate i want to build again the my my relationship with those books it can't be just based on it what one time being a favorite book i want to rekindle that relationship i want to keep it glowing yeah and so i re. and i'll, I'll just i'm almost done with my books i've reread recently or something yeah, yeah <laughs> i've yeah. got another one but um Good. i reread william trevor's book um, stories, not just books, um, mm-hmm. but the stories all the time, uh, just in particular, kind of steadily, steadily. Mm-hmm. Um, and the weird thing, maybe this goes into your obsession thing. I don't know, but something like the piano tuners wives or, um, you know, an idol in summer, uh, it isn't comfort. It's not going back to them because of even old memories, I just want that relationship because it's so meaningful to me and because every time it enriches me even more. Mm. I, w- I don't want it to just be some favorite from my past. I want it to be a perpetual favorite. I want to know these things, you know, they become part of my my day-to-day life rather than just a pleasant memory of the past. You know, I want to live in them rather than just revisit or visit them again, you know, every every so often which is what it is. I mean, I you know, it is I'm not rereading The Piano Tuner's Wives every day. Yeah. Um, but once or twice a year I do and I've never gotten tired of it. I've never thought it's a waste of my time. I get so much out of the way he writes it and of what it makes me think about people and I think that's part of it too. That those stories, many of his stories, have been ones where I feel like I've become a better, more sympathetic, empathetic person after reading them. More observant, more caring, mm-hmm. or at least more aware that I need to do better, even if it hasn't right. resulted always in in a, an improvement on my part. That I, it's part of the my life blood that I want to keep it going, and so I, I reread him for that reason. And I don't know if there's any other author that I do that with at all even Alice Monroe. um but his his stories just I don't know it's it's something that I feel like I almost need in order for my own
1: person to to continue to be whole I don't know it's weird it's weird no, I don't no. know if that's, yeah, that's making
0: sense but no it
1: makes a lot of sense and that's such a healthy Take on obsession <laughs> that I <my, laughs> that my my version of obsession is gonna bring the room down. Um, but I was thinking about the book that I just think about rereading. I've I've read it once and then I've reread it once. So I've read it twice total. 2666 by Roberto mm, yep. Bologno. It's the mm-hmm. opposite of everything you just said. It's not anything that's gonna make you feel better or teach you how to be a better person, but I don't know. That book just gets into my head. I think haunted was probably the, it would be the best word I can think of despite the fact that it's very long, very difficult in some ways in both style and subject matter. I've read it those two times. And I remember when I finished rereading it, and I think it might've been due to a project that you had hosted on your website, you know, the Mm -hmm. 2666 read along, I was not even finished rereading it. And I was already starting to think about like when I would reread it again, And that, I don't know what it is about that book, but it just gets into my head. Mm -hmm. And even when I'm in the middle of it, I'm just like, wow, when am I going to get back to this? Because I don't know why, because, but I think it just, it ticks so many boxes. It is so weird and big and messy and strange and confusing and mysterious that I think even as I'm reading it, I'm like, I am not getting all of this and I love it. And like, when can I come back and start trying to figure this out again? So For me, when I thought of Obsession, it was like a book like that, where even while you're reading it, you're already like looking ahead to the next time that you read it.
0: I'm not trying to get like spiritual or anything like that on on here, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but both of us, like I feel the same way about 2666. In fact, it's, I I put three books I want to reread and I put 2666 Mm which I've already reread, you know, we're talking now about rereading something maybe you've read only once, but what makes you continue to revisit them is, and I, again, this is not some, some well thought out idea or anything like that, but what is it about 2666 that makes me feel the same way? I, I'm not trying to, I, I don't know, I'm going to use the wrong words, but I, with William Trevor, there's something true about it that I don't find other places in, in Mm -hmm. art. And it's the same with 2666. It's, is it a brush up against something that just feels true? I I don't know. Again, that feels weird to, I don't think there's someone out there who would be able to articulate this so much better, but because it isn't so much the mystery of 2666. Mm -hmm. I already know how that ends. It doesn't, you know, I Mm -hmm. get that. But there's something about the brutal confrontation with existence and with how other people exist that I think is similar in it and in and in William Trevor's work, though, from different points of view and, you know, but William Trevor can be quite dark, too. It's a good point. Um, but there's something I think there's about that, you know, brush up against some of the, the truths of existence. Again, not using the right word because I'm not trying to to, like, talk religion or that kind of truth, I guess. But um, that does bring me back to also wanting to reread 2666 to the point where I picked three books I want to reread. And I put that one on here, though, (laughs) uh, like you, I've reread it already.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're onto something there. I mean, I've talked about this several times with the darkness of certain topics or literature of that idea of it being kind of cathartic. You know, I, I mentioned that book called Staring at the Sun, which is specifically about thinking about death. But you know, it's not just about that, but I do think that there's something about that of just the idea of, like you said, the the truth of humanity is lots of things some Mm -hmm. of them are very good. Some of them are very bad and and a huge spectrum in between, but there is something about these types of books that just lean in and really focus on some of these tough subjects. And it doesn't hurt that he's an absolute, you know, master and an amazing writer and has fascinating characters and there's the mystery and everything else going into it. But yeah, there's something deep rooted there. I absolutely agree that just gets into your head and won't let you go. Hmm. Yeah. So, now it's interesting. I didn't mean to spoil one of your read reads, but I guess it shouldn't, no, shouldn't I, shock me.
0: Well and I think that's a good way to approach this is as these things pop up
1: mm-hmm. to be do? able
0: to explore it a little bit because I I just wrote the books down. I didn't really think about yeah. why yet. I you didn't know? either Other than to say, oh, I really liked it the first time.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Well, can I ask you another question then? So um, another topic that came up for me, we talked about a book that you could read and hate it the second time. Has there ever been a reread for you where on the second reading, it completely transformed into a whole new level? Um, You know, a book that you thought was okay or good or that you liked well enough and then you reread it and it blew you away? And I will just go ahead and say that I'll give you a little time to think. For me, I've talked about it before, but Train Dreams by Dennis Johnson. Hmm. I read it the first time and I, I really liked it. I mean, I thought it was a wonderful, solid, good book. I don't remember what prompted me to read it the second time. But when I reread it, it blew the top of my head off. Like, I don't know, it, something changed where it went from like a book I would recommend and that I really enjoyed to like an all time favorite and i think that is just absolutely fascinating and it's honestly one of the things that kind of haunts me about all these other books that i'm not rereading is how many other books out there that i've already read <laughs> potentially could be on a reread like transformative for me and it's kind of the magic of all of this is i don't know that i could really put my finger on what it was that changed about it but when I reread it, it was almost like it was a completely different book. I remembered a lot of the things that happened, but it wasn't like the plot and it wasn't, you know, I don't know. That's what, like I said, it's kind of, there's a little bit of magic to all of this, just like cooking where you do something one time and it's pretty good. (laughs) And then the next time you do what you think is the same thing. And it is like your favorite meal ever. That's kind of how I feel (laughs) about this. So I don't know. Have you ever had an experience like that?
0: Well, this may be somewhat of a a repetitive the book that come that comes to mind, possibly because it was on my mind just seconds ago, is two six six six. If you go mm-hmm. to my blog and you read my first review of it, I didn't like it. I was oh, disappointed. I thought it it was clear that it was not finished, and I put that as a demerit on its part and that it's messy. Mm-hmm. But it just stuck with me for a long time. Like I didn't hate it or anything. You know, I just felt like oh, okay, this. This wasn't all that I hoped it would be, I guess. I don't know. But it was on the reread. and, And again, probably even leading up to the reread where I was like, I'm wrong about that. There's something there. And I can remember moments. I can remember the themes. I can remember some of the characters and their interactions and the weirdness of what they're doing and how, right it felt still you know or not right but again true i guess Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't know yeah that i wanted to reread it and that transformed into this book that i'm like okay i don't i don't get it but it's like you know scripture now i guess (laughs) i don't know (laughs) absolutely and and i'm trying to think if there's another one where i did really like the book but then it transformed like yours and i can't think of one quite yet um but 2666 is definitely one that did transform on the reread though i probably already knew that it would when I started yeah. it.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. No, to be fair, I mean, I don't know that I can think of another example. I don't know that I've ever had an experience like I did with Train Dreams. And that opens up the whole other can of worms of like, okay, now that I had that perfect reading, <laughs> mm-hmm. if and when I decide to read it a third time, is that going to break it? Like, oh, you know, yeah, so it's It's, it's interesting. tough. It's mm-hmm. tough.
0: It's tough to feel like you're going to break something fragile. Mm-hmm. Um, But is that thing you're sitting on the shelf going to, um, I don't know.
1: I don't know. I know. No, no. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you want to? Do you have an, any other topics on that well, level that you want to talk about, or do you want to start? You know, touching on some of the other ones we hope to reread, or how do you want to do that? I do want to. One other rereading experience
0: from recent was yeah. uh, um, the invention of Morale, which I think I mentioned yeah. last time, last episode. I just reread. With my oldest kids, actually, I don't know if I did I think I may have said I was doing it, but I finished it we were done we were done, and it was an interesting experience to see how much of the book I could remember and how much of it I just forgot to me, so much of my memory of that book is the narrator you know the writer's relationship with the woman Faustine and his mm-hmm. longing and his desire and all of that. I had forgotten so much of the other stuff to the point where I was surprised to realize that's maybe even a minor point of the book. I there's a lot of other aspects going on with him being a criminal. He he's actually kind of brutal and um a, a little bit of his toxic masculinity creeped out this time where I was like, "Oh, mm. I don't I don't I don't like your your longing for for Chris, for Faustine is a little bit more lustful and possessive you know than I remembered it to be from before mm-hmm. and so it did change in my in my experience but I still found it fun to reread fun to read to them and see their responses they're like what is going on dad right. <laughs> um, and and I I was also pleased to to have it change and become something a little bit different in my head yeah uh, I was I was okay with that with this one but yeah, really, again, just one of these things where I've wanted to reread that book for years now and I finally did it and I'm really glad that I did. So I'm I'm excited for the ones that I still want to reread that we're going to talk about here in a minute.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that's a fascinating thing about some of the books that I've reread is like you said, it's it's weird the book that you loved. And then if you love it on a reread, it could be for completely different reasons. And some of the things that meant so much to you, the first reading, or like you said, just a minor point, which is really interesting. There was a quote in the Yale Review. Uh, there was an essay about rereading, and I thought kind of ties into this. It says, books can transform us. They can determine a mental landscape, remake our vision of things in much the way the advent of impressionism made people see both cityscape and landscape afresh. Similarly, transformative readings, experiences after which one is no longer quite the same, And one's outlook and sensitivity have been significantly altered could be compared to a psychic rebirth involving the revelation of something new or perhaps the discovery of what was there already, but as yet unrecognized. So I thought that tied in pretty well to what we were just talking about of just like, I don't know about the psychic rebirth part, but like you said, there is something there that like, if you want to use the capital T truth or however you want to look at it, but like there are those experiences where there's something, something magical happening when you reread a book that, um, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, like I said with train dreams or something like that, where like you could give me months and months to think about it, and I don't know that I'd ever be able to put my finger on exactly what happened.
0: Well, it'd be It'd be cool to kind of philosophize a little bit yeah. you know? I know no, it's
1: fun. <laughs> I love it. Well,
0: well, that leads, I guess to
1: yeah. the idea of you know, we're talking so much about the joy of rereading. I was looking through my my shelves. I mean, there's a lot that I could do, but I will start off by saying, um, I think it's one that I even mentioned maybe on my 2023 plans, or I know I've mentioned it as something that I hope to read again soon, which is Middlemarch. I know that's an all-time favorite for you. And I really did love it when I read it probably five, six years ago. But I feel like having heard you and others talk about it since then, as much as I enjoyed it, I still feel like, there's a lot of it that I don't remember or that I maybe didn't even appreciate it as much as I would on a reread. So that's one, you know, I don't want to put too much pressure on it, but I can already kind of anticipate that that reread could be one of those that elevates it to a whole new level for me. So yeah, I would like to do that later this year. If I can, that's definitely pretty high on my list of, of books that I want to get to this year. Um, so yeah, that that's definitely, I don't know. Like I said, I'm always nervous to put too much pressure on it, but I can already kind of anticipate what you said with 2666, where you liked it the first time. And then the second time you could already almost anticipate that it would jump up a couple echelons. And that's how I feel about Middlemarch for me.
0: No, I, I, that's one that's on my perpetual. I want to reread too, even though Mm -hmm. I haven't, it's not on my list today, just that I do want to reread that one sooner than later. Have you read it once or twice? Just once. I've reread parts of it. There are parts that I revisit, I guess. The Mm -hmm. probably the you know parts that I highlighted and all of that. And they make me excited to reread the whole thing because I kind of sit there and think, if I like it this much, for you know, what did I miss the first time through? Yeah. You know, these parts are so
1: awesome and important to me, what did I miss? Well, and especially, I mean, it could happen in a small book like Train Dreams, but in a big book like that, you know, at least for me, I probably don't remember a anything but a tiny fraction of that book. So that, to me, is very exciting, the thought of not only the scope of it, but also just, I mean, the physical size of it. I know that there's going to be tons and tons of plot points, but also passages of beauty and other things that I completely Mm -hmm. don't even recall. So that's exciting, too.
0: Others that you... Well, I already mentioned 2666 for me. Um, How many
1: more do you have? I've got two more that I'll bring up. (laughs) Yeah, I can bring up... I have a list of... (laughs) <laughs> two to two to infinity um yeah i'll 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 jump in with one more real fast okay um that I've talked about before, the Gorman gas books, which mm. I know that you bought a while back um those it's interesting there are certain periods of your time- of your life where I feel like there were um you know I talked about college but also like the early years of of the palimpsest form that i've talked about a lot i've noticed there's a lot of books that i'd like to return to from that time and i think it's because it was just such a exciting and fresh and transformative period in my reading and gormenghast definitely falls into that i won't go on and on because i've talked about it before but as far as just beautiful descriptive writing of of people and place and that crumbly old castle and all of the hallways and everything i mean i that book when i read it the first time Was one of the more immersive reads of my entire life. And so, again, when you start talking 20, 25 years ago, there is the risk that on a reread, it won't hold up or won't, you know, tick the same box as it did for me. But at the same time, you know, when I think about books that have been kind of those flagpoles in my life of of very transformative reads that's one that i would like to get back to soon i don't remember if you have dipped into that one a little bit or not too much yet no
0: not not yet i guess that's one where because of its size i want to i I want to make sure that i'm not going to start it and then feel like i need to stop yeah so so i haven't i haven't done that yet but that one based on what you've told me feels like it would be like revisiting a favorite place as well not just uh you know, favorite stories and whatnot, but like, you know, it'd be so nice to get back to that castle and, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, see that my favorite, my favorite dark passages. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, and even rereading,
1: like when we had like the favorite opening passages or whatever, I I read a few snippets out of Mm -hmm. it. And based on that, I, I, that helped allay my fears that it might not hold up because reading those was so wonderful just to revisit. He's just such an odd and fascinating writer um, that I think that that, part of it would continue to appeal to me even now. So
0: yeah. What about you? Another reread? Well, so one that I've also talked to you about recently, but that I, this is probably going to be the soonest. Well, the one that I reread sooner than later mm-hmm. is uh jail cars a month in the country. Yeah. Um, it was between that one and the invention of Morel as to which I would do next. And mm-hmm. I still really want to do a month in the country. I love that book. I love what I remember about it, but, you know, I, will I love it as much on a reread? I kind of think so. I I kind of feel like it's one where I'll get more out of it. Yeah. But I don't know if you ever listened to the episode, but I did a month in the country with my brother and he didn't really like it.
1: Oh yeah. I do remember that actually.
0: uh, It took us years to, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but so part of me is a little worried that maybe, I won't, you know, I'll see those kinds of things or I'll, I'll Mm -hmm. have his issues with it, but I I don't think so.
1: Yeah. I don't, I would be surprised. I've actually, I have read that one twice and it held up very well for me. And it was very much that experience we've talked about where my memories of it versus what I noticed on the reread were very different. I mean, there Mm -hmm. was definitely the through lines, but it's always amazing in a slim little book like that, how it's not that you missed it the first time necessarily, but just like you talked about with it, the invention of morale, like it's not like it's a thousand pages. It's like a hundred or 150 pages. How could it be that I <laughs> read this and didn't notice all these things? But yeah, I'll be curious to hear what you think when you read that one.
0: Awesome. Well, keep Brian's yeah. voice out of your head.
1: Uh, well, I don't even remember what he didn't
0: like or, or care about. Yeah. Um, so I don't think yeah. that'll, that'll happen. I guess it's more just a thought of, you know, he's, he's not someone that I usually disagree too much about books mm-hmm. with. So what, what's going on here? Is it yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> right. more of that in my head than it is any particular criticism that I thought he laid out that I was like, Ooh, yeah, that's, I guess a good point. So. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I will actually cheat. I'm going to throw in three books Okay. In one. Let's no, go. just the books of John Williams that you actually mm. helped introduce me to um, you know, through your podcast and through our conversations. And they're just all three of them for different reasons are among my all time favorite reading experiences. Um Stoner and Butcher's Crossing, maybe. If if I had to rank it would be like those would tie for one A and and maybe <laughs> um Augustus would be one B. But I mean, they're all just absolutely fabulous. So I am very excited to reread those but that is one where i will admit with stoner in particular you know there's been some conversations about that book where some people have not been as as flattering or have felt like there were some problematic parts and so that's where i will admit there's a little bit of that wariness of like i don't want my opinion of it to get watered down or changed based on either me rereading it and just seeing that myself or some of those conversations that are in the back of my mind, niggling and, and all of mm-hmm. a sudden I'm like, oh, so I'm all three of those. I would love to read because it's been a long time and and I do really consider them some of the best reading experiences of my life. But there is that little bit of nervousness as well about it.
0: Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way about Stoner. I love it and I loved it, loved it, loved it when I read it. But I think some of the criticisms are valid. Mm-hmm. Will Will I will those outweigh it? I don't know. I'll have to see that. Those yeah. are definitely on my would like you know someday want to reread mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but you mentioned the three of them, so I I know I know which three you're talking about, and I hundred percent agree. Those are his three
1: books that you should read.
0: But have you read Nothing But the Night? His debut that NYRB put out.
1: No, I I own it. That's a good point. I guess. Maybe unfairly or maybe fairly, I don't know. But I, I don't. I'm well, he, actually a little nervous to read that one too, just for the same mm-hmm. reasons of like I loved those other three, and and that's not fair. There's no reason you can't just enjoy it as a separate thing. But yeah, what well, are your thoughts on it?
0: I, I, I didn't think I would ever read it until they all of a sudden they're publishing it because I yeah. don't think he wanted to, anyone to read it. You know, he kind of disowned it and was like that's my debut, whatever. I really liked it though. I really thought that he was doing some interesting um, things with it. I I did really like it. I think it's worth it. Um, It's not like Stoner and Augustus and Butcher's Crossing um, almost at all, but I still thought it was worthwhile, and I'm glad that I did. I really am. So I'd recommend giving it a shot one of these days.
1: that's a good idea. And I will just mention, it's nice because he has a a Denver connection. Um, Mm -hmm. He actually was at at DU, the the university here. So that's, I always thought that was kind of cool with like, we've said how he's kind of an author of the West, or at least in some ways has a very strong presence. And it's, so I like that part too, that appeals to me.
0: Well, and it it isn't, so this is a different topic, but going back and reading favorite authors' debut works, Mm -hmm. you know, I read William Maxwell's Bright Center of Heaven, I didn't really like it. It's pretty derivative of like Virginia Woolf and all that, you know, whatever. And, um, who's the other one I just had in mind. Oh, shoot. It was just, just barely on the, on my mind to bring up as well that I, Oh, Oh yeah. Cormac McCarthy, the orchard keeper. Yeah. That's not a good book either. I didn't really Mm -hmm. like it. Um, but I did like, uh, the John, John Williams debut. Yeah. That that one, I thought, was like, I'm glad I read that. Where the other two, I was like, that's more if, if you're really into these guys and want to say you've read them all. Yeah, The, the, the John Williams one might be there somewhat, but I, I liked it more than those other two.
1: Well, and the nice thing is if you're in the right headspace for a work like that, sometimes you can go into it with different expectations where it's not that you're expecting it to be a masterpiece, but it's like, Oh, you can start to see there's a little time where he experimented with this or she did Mm -hmm. that, you know? And so those still can be worthwhile experiences. Probably like you said, mostly if it's an author that you really love or an invested in, but it's not to discount those. So yeah, that's a good point. I should try that one.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll throw out a couple books then too, as far as rereads. And that's WG Zabald. The Rings of Saturn and the Emigrants and Austerlitz in particular. I don't know if I'll ever reread Vertigo, hmm. um, but I love those other three so much, but I've only read them each once and they were all close together. I don't know, 15 years ago now. It's time to see if I get as much out of them again or don't, you know, it's, it's I mm-hmm. think it's time to bring those back into my life and not just as some vague thing that I don't really remember very well, but I still say was so meaningful to me and mm-hmm. see what shape it holds these days in, in my life. I I just, I'd love to reread those
1: three books soon. Yeah, that's a great choice. I mean, something tells me I've only read Austerlitz. So I actually feel the same way about just reading, reading several of those for the first time, but based on Austerlitz and what I know about Seewald, I think I could see that being a very rich rereading experience because of just the style and the nature and the depth and everything else that he puts into his writing. You know, something tells me that is one you would absolutely get different things out of. And I could see it being one of those that really hits you differently at different ages as well. I think so too.
0: I think so too. And it's one where it's kind of like that trip to Paris or whatever, um Mm -hmm. oh yeah my first trip down there i'm just trying to understand what's even going on and i'm probably far enough beyond that i'll probably have to do the same thing again you know revisit the louvre again in order to remember it at all but i do want these books to be ones where i can get behind it a little bit and see the other things going on that i didn't at all capture the first time because i was focused on just just figuring out what what i needed to know
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is like, like we said, I mean, that is absolutely one of the most important things about it is even in a book like that, that's not necessarily plot driven. It just allows you to focus on different things. And you're not, you know, depending on how long it's been, you're not necessarily trying to get your footing because you at least have some idea what you're getting into. So that causes you to be able to relax a little. And, mm-hmm. and like you said, stop and admire the scenery like you would and take the take the back alleys and look up at the ceiling instead of the the art on the wall and all those types of things. So yeah, yeah, this is getting me excited. I'm <laughs> thinking about hmm, maybe I can add some more to the list. I will say Moby Dick, you mentioned that. I mean, that is one that I would have to mention. I mean, I would like to get to that this year too, that I've only read it once, but me too. I might list it as my favorite book of all time, just based on one reading. So. Time topic, to put that... it to the test. Paul? I know exactly. <laughs> yeah. Something tells me that one will probably
0: hold up. I think so. I think so too. Oh, well, anything
1: else that you wanted to bring up? I did go through my list and such. So I'm- Yeah. No, I mean, I could keep naming books that I want to reread, but I can save some of those for another episode because I think this topic will continue- We'll have to, to redo come up, it. Even if it's organically <laughs> or, yeah, maybe that too. We'll have to reread it. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's a good place to stop for now. But I mean, I would love to hear, as always from anyone out there, about their thoughts on rereading but also any of these transformative experiences for the good or the bad Mm -hmm. of rereading that people have come across because i just find it endlessly fascinating just how can the very same words in the very same order and often in the very same book you know printing that you read before be so different on every reread i think that's just like I, I keep using the word magical, but I really think it's it's just fascinating how it can be so <laughs> different every time. So I'd love to hear from anybody and their experiences on rereading as well.
0: Yeah, I'd love some of those particular experiences. Yeah, I will remind folks about the giveaway opportunity at the t- from the top of the podcast. Send me an email. You don't have to write anything about rereading, but if that's a great place for you to share some of your experiences, that's... We love to read them. We, you know, yeah. we love to hear what are your thoughts on rereading, but also some of your particular books and, and times when you've reread and your experience with them. I'd I'd love to get more of that. That's a great idea. So, all right. Well, Paul, thanks so much. We'll be back here in a couple of weeks on a special publisher episode. You want to tell uh-huh. them who it is? Should we tell people who we're going to be highlighting
1: next? I think we should. Yeah, we might as well. Next? episode, we will be chatting with Mr. Ron Restrepo about open letter books, one of our other favorite publishers. Um, yeah, if, if you have not read any of their books, you have a little time here to kind of start doing some research and snooping around. But if not, maybe that episode will inspire you because they are just a wealth of absolutely wonderful translated fiction um, mm-hmm. from around the world. Uh, Chad Post is one of, you know, the the great advocates and, and leaders, I would say, of the need for translated fiction and and the shortfalls that much of the publishing world, you know, experiences around the voices from around the world. And he, and he's done such a great job of championing that. Um, so yeah, it's going to be fun to, to talk about that. And Ron Restrepo is just an absolute <laughs> wonderful reader. You know, every time I, I talk to him, I'm just inspired because he's a smart reader and a um, creative reader and also just a curious reader. So I think it's going to be a really fun conversation. I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, he's going to make both of us feel guilty that we have not yet read Solenoid because that was his favorite book of last year, at least the book he highlighted for us at our yeah, year-end that's episode. True. Yeah. That's well, okay, We have, though. I, we have two weeks. Get that. on it, Trevor. There I go. Yeah, <laughs> but put all this other stuff aside for now. That's Don't right. we read anymore? <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, thanks, Paul. You have a great rest of the day. We'll be back too. soon.
1: All right. Thanks, everybody.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter you can follow Trevor at mooks and Paul at bibliopaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything even a dollar a month helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a Patreon at patreon.com slash mooks. Until next time.